We're going to get started here. Thanks for joining us here at SACPAW, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is Cody Spencer, and I'll be the moderator for this session. Uh, if I can get everyone to, to turn off their cell phones immediately, or turn them on vibrate at least. Um, so the, the talk and the Q&A will be recorded today by Shaw TV and posted after on SACPAW's web uh, website or YouTube channel, so you can check that out afterwards. Um, if everyone can put $11 in the basket on each table for lunch, that'd be great. And then one person from each table count the money and, and submit it. Um, so the, the format for, for today's meeting, there'll be a 25 to 30 minute presentation, then a break for lunch, and then we'll jump back in for another question and answer period at the end. So today, today we have Dr. Leroy Littlebear speaking. Will bison once again be roaming southern Alberta and northern Montana? Renowned as an international speaker and leader, Dr. Leroy Littlebear is a pioneer in the, in the field of indigenous education and the winner of the 2017 University of Lethbridge Speaker Research Award. A mentor and instructor of students and an esteemed advisor on Aboriginal matters at the local, provincial, national, and international level, Leroy was a founder of the university's Department on Native American Studies, one of the first such departments in Canada. Leroy breathed life, in, life into Indigenous scholarship by developing ethical, respectful, and rigorous Aboriginal programs. His educational service did not end with his formal retirement, but rather transitioned into the role of mentor and advisor, guiding Indigenous programming and establishing a legacy of inclusivity. Leroy now serves as a special assistant to the president and has played an integral role in breaking boundaries between traditional indige Indigenous and Western sciences. And his writings has, have influenced legal and policy realms. He and his wife, Amethyst First Rider, were major proponents in bringing about the signing of the Buffalo Treaty. He has received the key to the city of Lethbridge, an Urban Aboriginal Lifetime Achievement Award, an honorary Doctor of Arts and Science from the U of L, and an honorary Doctor of Law from the University of Northern British Columbia. He was recently inducted into the Alberta Order of Excellence. Now, it's become common practice in the era of uh, truth and reconciliation to address the fact that we're on Blackfoot territory, Treaty 7 territory. Um, this, is, this is an essential practice, but I, I just don't think that's enough, especially with having Leroy here today. Uh, Treaty 7 was signed in September of 1877, which was about five years after the last buffalo was wiped from the plains of southern Alberta. So this marked an end of a way of life that it, had, it exist, had existed for thousands of years, actually literally almost 10,000 years since the retreat of the glaciers. And so this existence wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for the relationship between the plains peoples and the buffalo. It transcended food, shelter, into the realms of 
spirituality and religion and you know the creation of, of myth or creation of, of the people themselves. So the, the buffalo was everything to the plains people and connected them to, to the buffalo and the land on a level that we cannot even come close to comprehending in the, in the modern world. And so with, with that being said, I'd like, to, I'd like to recognize that we're not only on Blackfoot territory, but we, we are also in buffalo country. So I'd like to welcome Leroy Little Bear. Oki nistodna kauk ikas kenewa. I naksiks kenau saukitapia. And you said, oh, do As I tell some audiences, I was just speaking to you in the Mongolian. <laughs> I'm very honored to be uh, in your presence and to talk about Iniwa, the buffalo, and what's been happening over the past few years in our efforts uh, regarding buffalo restoration. But I also want to thank you uh, for coming out on such a day like today, when we should all be staying home, uh, <clears throat> for coming to speak about something very important to this territory and to issues such as environment. As you know, <clears throat> And some of you, for instance, may have heard on the news a uh, discovery down in Mexico where they uncovered people, you know, in a cave that were, that was there, you know, through, you know, tests and so on. They determined these people had been there for over 30,000 years. And there's other studies that show that humans have been in the Americas up to 70,000 years, way before the standard or the measuring stick that we use the Clovis culture, or the uh, Folsom points and so on, which only go back to about 17, 18,000 years, and which coincides basically or just after the last ice age. And it feels like an ice age today. During all that time, we could say that, and let me put it this way, 
every culture, every society, at one time or another, claim a territory. Okay. And based on the relationship that humans have with the territory, a culture arises out of that. In other words, the surrounding environment and so on influences your culture, your worldview, and so on. And in this case, the buffalo was one of those keystone species that was very much a part of the environment. And through, through the relationship between humans and the buffalo, a culture arises. And so the buffalo becomes a very important animal a very important brother, in fact, with regard to Blackfoot Indians and other Plains Indians. So our brother, the buffalo, has been around for thousands of years and the relationship between the humans, in this case, Plains Indians, Blackfoot, and the buffalo has been in existence for thousands of years. Now, as I was just mentioning outside the room, to the news media, if you can imagine a situation where, let's say, I say to, to a group of people, I'm a Christian, and I have, you know, and I follow all the beliefs and, you know, prescriptions and circumscriptions of Christianity. But I've come to a place where I see no signs of it. I see no crosses out there that symbolizes, you know, Christianity. I see no churches, so much out there. I could still have all the beliefs, but there's no external icons that symbolizes that connection about what I carry around as beliefs and what's out there. 
So, keeping that in mind as an analogy, about eight, nine years ago, one of our graduate students at the University of Lethbridge studying environmental science brought a small group of blood Indian elders and she invited us out to the, uh, to the gathering and in discussions with the elders talking about health, well-being, culture, the elders began to talk about the buffalo. And in their mind, they basically said, you know, out of sight, out of mind. In other words, we're so closely related to that buffalo, our stories, our sacred societies, and so on, are so closely related. But we don't see that buffalo out there. It's like I don't see any crosses out there. See? We don't see that buffalo. That's what they meant by out of sight, out of mind. They said, our youth, we teach them our ceremonies, we teach them our songs, we teach them our stories, but they don't see that buffalo out there. They're not making the connection. So, we'd sure like to see, it was a dream back in 2008 or so, it was a dream on the part of the elders that they would like to see free roaming buffalo again. And some of the stories that came out for instance, basically, they were saying, we know that the spirit of the buffalo has never left us. It's still here. So one of the stories they shared with us and that we've shared with others is, you know that Highway 509 that goes towards standoff and so on. The Blood Indians nicknamed the highway Bingo Road because everybody comes into the casino and so on. Well, when they were surveying the road, one day the surveyor was looking through his scope and so on. And all of a sudden, he would step aside and look. Look around. 
And finally, he told his assistant, come over here, look through this scope and tell me what you see. So his assistant did the same thing, look through the scope, step aside, look around. He asked him, what do you see when you look through the scope? And he says, I see thousands of buffalo out on the plains. And so when you hear those kind of stories, and here in this case, it, they weren't Indian surveyors, they were white surveyors that were seeing those spirits of the buffalo out there. They, they conclude this, you know, the buffalo has never left us. Out of that small meeting with elders back in 2008, we started to hold what we call Buffalo Dialogues. And they were just open invitations, just like SAGPA, you know, open invitation. Whoever is interested can come and join the conversation in these Buffalo Dialogues. The only difference was we always left an empty seat at the table for the, for the buffalo. And without going into long explanations about how it happens, the buffalo would ask us some loaded questions. Things like, hey, I've been gone for over a hundred years. You guys have done without me for all those years. Why do you want me to come back? If I do come back, is it going to be just the same old? Or what do you plan to do? In other words, it's kind of like a relative that has left you. And you ask the relative to come back. And he says, why, why do you want me to come back? You know? What is there for me? So we held these dialogues in Blackfoot territory crossed the border into the Blackfeet Reservation, all the way up to Siksika, the Blackfoot. I don't know, I've lost count of how many dialogues we had. Well, it was as though these elders that were participating in the dialogues were testing the younger people how committed they were with regard to buffalo restoration. So that in the fall of 2013, 
they finally came out and they said, okay, we've talked about the buffalo for a number of years now. I think we need, we're going to do, we need to do something. I think we all agree, we are all of one mind with regard to bringing our brother back. But they said, it's a big job. It's not something you can do overnight. It's not an issue of simply taking buffalo, dropping, dropping them in the field, and so on. We need help. And incidentally, when we were having these dialogues, we felt very alone. We felt, you know, we've got a big uphill, you know, uh, fight and so on with regard to buffalo restoration. But we soon found out that, hey, there's a whole bunch of other people out there thinking the same way. We ended up partnering with Wildlife Conservancy Society, who in fact has a buffalo program. Out of Wildlife Conservancy Society, a new organization came into existence, American Bison Society. The American Prairie Reserve over here in Montana, for instance, are into buying lands back that farmers want to sell and they're stocking the place, the American Prairie Reserve, with bison. World Wildlife Fund. And here in Alberta, we have bison belong out of Banff, Alberta. And in that process, we also discovered that both national parks, Waterton and Banff, had some words hidden, but, you know, deep in their files, a buffalo restoration program that they've been toying around with every once in a while. They look at it, put it away, you know. So, when we found out about these other NGOs, we uh, decided to contact them and we started working with all these other organizations so that now, hey, we have relatives all over the place. In fact, we can say globally with regard to buffalo restoration. Well, in the fall of 2013, the elders said, we need partners. We can't do it by ourselves. And so they said, the first, the first group of people we need to contact 
is our, is our neighbors, the First Nations. Let's see if we can partner with them. And that's where the idea of a Buffalo Treaty came into existence. So that in the fall of 2014, the day, you know, on September the 23rd, September 22nd is the anniversary of Treaty Number 7, and it was on September the 23rd, 2014, that four American First Nations, Fort Peck Indian Reservation in eastern Montana, Fort Belknap by Haber, Montana, the Blackfeet just across the border, and over the mountains, the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes, sometimes referred to as flatheads. And on the Canadian side, the Blood Tribe, Bikani, Pagan, Tsutsina or Sarsi, and Siksika. Eight First Nations got together to sign the treaty. And then after, afterwards, since then, we've had other First Nations in Saskatchewan, Hobima, the Stonies, the three Nakoda uh, bands at, uh, at Stony have all signed on to the treaty. We've had our brothers and sisters from Central and South America at a gathering of the Eagle and the Condor in New York also have signed the treaty, you know, in support of Buffalo restoration. Just incidentally, so that you're familiar with the notion of the eagle and the condor. There's, there's prophecies about the eagle and the condor coming back together. The condor symbolizing the people of the south and the eagle symbolizing the people of the north. So there's been these ongoing discussions of elders and other leaders in different places in South and North America. And it was at one of those meetings back in 2016 that at an Eagle and Condor meeting that our Southern brothers and sisters also signed on to the treaty. So what is what is the treaty about? The, uh, the treaty, as you know, only sovereign nations can sign treaties. Well, our people have signed many treaties long before 
the newcomers came. So treaty number seven is really just another treaty with another sovereign. So, but we've had many treaties and so on signed with different nations throughout North America. And it was on the signing of that treaty where the signatories agreed to a number of things contained in the treaties, in the treaty, and you've got copies of the treaty on your table. The, uh, the idea behind the treaty is really to have the signatories to the treaty to, uh, to uh, work together on a number of issues. And those issues include conservation, culture, education, health. You know, it's much healthier to eat buffalo. Okay. And, you know, research. Economics comes into the picture. And incidentally, we're going to be having our next treaty anniversary in May over on the Flathead country. And because Ted Turner is the largest buffalo owner, has the largest buffalo ranch, the largest land owner in the United States, in fact, has requested to come and meet with the treaty signatories. So we're going to be having Ted Turner as our guest at the next meeting in May. The, uh, the treaty um, <coughs> speaks to, like I said, these different articles. And you can go through them. I don't want to go through uh, talking about each and every one of them. But the important thing, the important thing about, and a question that can be asked with regard to the impact of the treaty, well, one of the things, one of the things that has come out of the treaty is that some of you may have heard about Yellowstone Buffalo, Yellowstone National Park in Montana and Wyoming. And the Yellowstone Buffalo have had a very bad rap, you know, mainly by RCAF and other organizations blaming the buffalo for certain, you know, spread of, spread of diseases, brucellosis, TB, and so on. Well, it's true, the buffalo did catch those diseases, but it's being blamed for its spread. 
when in reality, nobody ever says anything about the deer. Nobody ever says anything about the elk. And they're free roaming. See? And in fact, it's those animals, like deer and elk, that spread those type of diseases that are common to bovine type of animals. So one of the things out of the Buffalo Treaty was to work with Yellowstone National Park on a quarantine uh, program so that whatever the, uh, you know, once the buffalo come out of those quarantine, they're disease free. The Badger Two Medicine area, just south of the park, close to the Blackfeet Reservation, we've worked with government on the American side, and we've managed to get it declared as a historical cultural area. And we have one more little hurdle to go jump over when the Blackfeet are going to be able to turn Buffalo into the Badger Two Medicine area. About a hundred years ago or so, you know, with good intention, the President of the United States decided he wanted to preserve the buffalo. But without telling the flatheads, the CSKT people, the Kootenai Salish, he simply carved a, res a, you know, an area out of their reservation and stocked it with buffalo, which is now known as the National Bison Range. And it's been in existence on the Flathead Reservation since then. Well, all those activities on the American side, we've been working on, and let's say, we're this close. And we were that close until the trickster came in in the person of Donald Trump. And as, of, as you know, the, uh, when new administrations come into, the, into existence, usually everything's are, everything is, is on hold. They put a stop to everything. And that's what happened on the American side. Everything was held, you know, stopped. It's on hold. And as of the past four or five months, things are now starting to pick up again and talks are starting to proceed again. So we're very close to achieving those, those uh, efforts on the American side. On the Canadian side, of course, we all know Banff National Park now has Buffalo, they've, they've re reintroduced Buffalo, and as free roaming, okay? It's a slow release program, as they call it, and 
they'll be removing fences this year. And by next year, 2019, all the fences are going to be down. And the buffalo that has been reintroduced will, you know, be on their own as free roaming in Banff National Park. We've been talking with government. As you know, here in Alberta, buffalo were considered as extirpated. And consequently, and in today, they're considered as domestic. And so we're working very closely with government, Shannon's office over here, and his staff, and seeing if we can, you know, reclassify the buffalo from domestic to wild, which would mean a very different management approach. So things are happening, and very interesting happenings, very interesting developments, and well, you know, hoping that in the next few months, you know, some major developments will, will arise out of all these uh, meetings and so on we have with different stakeholders. So let me stop there and let you satisfy your gut feelings with the good food that they serve us here. And we'll talk some more after that, maybe on a little bit more historical aspects of the buffalo. Thank you.